Welcome to Talk is Jericho, it's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the home of the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, uh, I'm trying to figure out what IDK means. I've asked a bunch of people, but nobody seems to know. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yes. I know Duff and Guns N' Roses are going to kill it tomorrow at Welcome to Rockville in Daytona Beach, Florida, even if Duff does not kill it every week here with the joke of the week. But it's guaranteed that GNR is going to tear it down. They are headlining the May 21st uh, day of the festival. Go see them if you're in the area. Then they're headed to Europe and South America for the summer. Thanks to everyone who came out and rocked with Fozzie on our spring tour. We had a blast. So many great shows. Met so many of you at the VIP meet and greet. Some big tour news coming up. We're going back out in the States and some shows in Canada. Going back to the UK and, of course, Australia in December. And we look forward to seeing you on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea for Leaf Clover. We're setting sail February 2nd, 2023. We've got a great lineup of talent joining us. Fozzie playing three sets and for the first time ever. We're going to Great Stirrup Key, our very own private island. Come experience the vacation of a lifetime. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right, today I got Sensei John Kreese from the Karate Kid trilogy and the Cobra Kai series. I'm talking, of course, Martin Cove and his son Jesse, who's also an actor, are both on the show. Martin's telling great stories about his acting career, including his hilarious audition for the Karate Kid that landed him the role of Kreese in the first place. He talks about his friendship and working relationship with Sylvester Stallone and what it was like to do Rambo with him. He was also on AEW Dynamite, shares how Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, was responsible for that. They have become uh, good friends. Martin and Jesse also talk in Cobra Kai. Jesse was in a couple episodes as well, explains what it was like to be on the same show in the same set as his father. They've done a few movies together even, which you'll hear all about. And they've got a podcast together along with Jesse's twin sister, Rachel. The three of them host Kicking It with the Coves. It's all about Cobra Kai, the world of Karate Kid, the world of the Coves. I was just on an episode with them last week. It was uh, amazing. And so they are now reciprocating that. And you can listen to Kicking It with the Coves for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to Martin Cove, Sensei Crease from Cobra Kai, and his son Jesse, also from Cobra Kai, right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. Jump into it. We're here with, uh, with Martin Cove and, and Jesse Cove. We met, actually, we met before that, Martin. I'll tell you the other story first. But we just saw each other about a month ago or two months ago, whatever it was, in Nashville when Martin and Jesse appeared on AEW Dynamite. And it was a nice surprise. But why were you there? Kind of tell the story about how that even happened. Well, you know, there's a female wrestler there, and she's just terrific. Britt Baker, yep. Yeah, Britt Brit, Brit Baker. She's always at the uh, autograph shows. She's a great girl. <laughs> she is. We did a promo once, and the promo got massive, massive views. And all I did was, you know, say something cute about her being a dentist, you know, and then becoming a wrestler, you know. And I said, which is crazy, by the way, that she's also a doctor, which is like, one, the way she looks yes. and what she does, how badass she is. And she's a doctor. It's crazy. It's a perfect catch. <laughs> so anyway, so you've seen her a lot at the Comic-Cons. Yeah. So she said to me, do a promo with me. So I said, okay. So we did a promo, and I never saw her wrestler when she was someplace else on the East Coast. Then she said, well, she'll be in Nashville. Can I call you? And I said, sure. And then she called me, and with my um, agent for conventions, he said, go on down there. It'll be fun. And I hadn't been to a 
wrestling. I think we, we did one in Houston. Houston. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. The whole audience, thousands of people. <laughs> they all, when I walked in, we had front row seats. They started chanting, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai, <laughs> yeah. Cobra Kai. And I said, oh, God almighty, you feel like the Roman emperor here. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's, it's great, too, because whenever a, a celebrity comes on from the outside world, quote, unquote, I always like to see what kind of a reaction they get. And you got a huge reaction when you came out, when they showed you to the promo backstage or whatever it was in the ring, uh, ringside. And people were just going crazy, like you said, chanting and super excited that you were there. It's amazing to me just how popular Cobra Kai is. It's gone through the roof for multiple generations. And that's the secret of it. That's why it works so well. It's, it's got a little bit for everybody. To me, I've said this many times, it's like the old Ed Sullivan show. Everybody used to gather around the TV on a Sunday night and watch the variety of Ed Sullivan. Well, Cobra Kai's got something for everybody. Right. And the writing is so good, that's what constitutes basically it being so attractive to all these age groups. Because the kids were told to watch the Karate Kid movies, they'd like them. But they never did. All of a sudden, this show comes on Cobra Kai with the same characters. Parents watch it with the kids. Then now the, they tell the kids... Now you can watch the Karate Kid movies because you know who these guys are. So the whole family is now interversed in the movies and the series for years going, you know? It's interesting, though, because I showed, I think everybody does this when you have little younger kids and you have, you know, family movie night. It's always kind of cool to show them the movies that you liked when you were a kid. So all of my kids had seen Karate Kid, more specifically the first one, because it is, it is one of the classics of all time. So when, when Cobra Kai comes out, what's the hook to get them to watch? Because now the characters are so much older. I think every, every kid can understand what Danny goes through, Daniel LaRusso goes through in Karate Kid, no matter what era it is, because he's a you know, 13, 14-year-old kid in the, in the movie. So when kids are that age, they can uh, empathize with them. But I, you said for Cobra Kai, the reason why it clicks for the kids now and people my age is because there's younger stars. You know, it's a very, very smart idea. Like you said, something for everybody that actually gets the kids involved so they don't have to watch, oh, this guy's your age, Dad. And now there's also the high school kids as well. It's such a smart idea. Yeah. We, we you know, our podcast, we have a Kicking It With The Coves. Mm -hmm. You know, I do it with Jesse and I do it with Rachel, uh, my son and daughter. And we had the writers on. And I was in L.A. We interviewed all three of them and it was brilliant. I mean, it was great for Jesse because he guest starred on the show. Yeah. And a lot of secrets came out about <laughs> when they met me, you know, and I first signed on and a lot of things were, were going on, as well as Rachel, who is, even though she's an outsider of show business, she's really not because she sings and she goes to acting class and she's, a, you know, basically a, a, a life coach. So she has all these questions about the psychology of the motivations of why you know, the writers choose this and choose that. What did you think, Jess? What did you think about that interview with the writers? Well, one thing, Chris, you're coming on next, brother. We Absolutely. Because, one, you're an amazing man. I mean, I mean, you know, your entire athletic career, your music career, like everything that you've done, it's, it's incredible. Dude. I was just listening to Judas before we started. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> when we came, because I was there that night in Nashville, there were so many people wearing Cobra Kai shirts mm -hmm. that were in the audience. It was just hilarious. And then, you know, when they did the stuff backstage, 
with Brit and everybody. And then they did that promo you said on the on the Jumbotron. Like people were once so surprised. And then for Brit to have her, you know, her sensei there or whatever. You know, also <laughs> we would love to do some more. Uh, she's just great. And um, you know, back to the Cobra Kai stuff. It's it's just amazing. I mean, even the fact that I got on the show was a total surprise. I never thought in a million years I'd be a part of that. And then, you know, the scene that I was in was was with uh, my dad's younger self. Mm-hmm. I was bullying John Kreese, which you never thought you know you'd ever see. And when I got introduced to the show, they actually wanted it to, to seem like I was John Kreese. They wanted all the all the people that are watching to think that I was that character coming in, the bully who's mm-hmm. like got the girl, he's got the football jacket. And then you see that he's just that my dad's character is actually the the bus boy who's cleaning up all this stuff. And so it was just amazing to be able to be a part of that and for my dad to watch as well. And for us together as father and son, kind of it was kind of like a little bit of destiny. It was just it was amazing. Did you ever realize like so my dad used to play for the New York Rangers, right? So when I was a kid, I remember everyone thought that was so cool, like, oh my gosh, your dad's Ted Irving, he plays for the Rangers. But to me, he was just my dad, right? It's just like, oh whatever. And I didn't realize how cool that was until I got older and really understood just how special that is. How how was that for you growing up? knowing that your dad has this iconic character, not to mention a working actor for, gosh, how 40 years, Martin, whatever, it's been even longer. I mean, you've played so many characters and we'll talk about that, but how was that for you growing up and knowing that your dad was a famous actor? Well, thanks, man. I, it's, it's cool to hear that from you. You know, it is very true. It's like everyone always asks these questions. Oh, is he like that in real life? You know, is he John Kreese at home? And Of course not, right? Yeah, yeah I was he's joking. an actor. <laughs> yeah, when he's sitting in traffic or he like, you know, stubs his toe or something, John Kreese comes out, you know? <laughs> but at the end of the day, he is always my dad. And it's always like he's there for me when I was playing soccer and baseball growing up. Like he he was my dad. And then there was the other side of filming and traveling the world and making movies that I loved. It was always like Disneyland for me whenever I got to mm-hmm. him on set. So it, it is nice to obviously have those two and, and to balance those two. And he, he always jokes about like in the early 90s, late 80s, that when my sister and I were born, he always jokes that his career took a dive because he spent he would so much rather spend time with us than making movies and you know shooting people on screen. <laughs> well, you know it's funny you mentioned the early nineties, and this is the first time we actually met Martin. Of course, you won't remember this at all, but I grew up in uh, in Canada, and I was in Calgary, and you were coming to like a mall in Calgary to do a signing. At, at one of the shops, whatever the heck it was. And my girlfriend at the time, I remember her name was Levina. Oh my what a name, right? <laughs> and she was like, I got to go meet Martin Cove. She was a huge fan. Actually, she was a big fan of yours from Rambo 2, which we could talk about. She's like, I got to meet Martin Cove. I'm like, seriously? I got to take you to the mall to meet this actor? Like, I was a fan too, but you and your girlfriend's involved. He's so hot. And I'm like, oh, geez. So I had to go there and wait in line for her to go take a picture with you. And I took the picture and uh, I still remember like, he ain't so hot. (laughs) I was all jealous. What year was this? What year? Uh, Probably I'd say 91, maybe 92, very early 90s. I was there. We were doing a a Western. So you remember that? Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were doing a Western. I loved Calgary. It was also, I had been there a few years earlier, I think 86, for the Calgary Stampede. Yeah. You know, I remember that. And then when I got offered to do this movie, it was at a ranch that had a Western town. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And uh, the people were great. And I remember going to the Calgary, I think it was Calgary Hats, where they had a great 
you know, red building in the middle of Calgary that made Western hats. <laughs> I, I thought Calgary was great. I mean, I love going there and I want to go there again and make a picture because not only is it easier, it's like living in Nashville. It's easier than LA. Everything is easier. Everything in Canada seems to be just the people are kind and it's just easier. There are a lot of red tape for movies lately. Still, you know, there's a wonderful kindness. And I remember doing Cagney and Lacey and Al Waxman. Very famous actor, yeah. And he was a big, famous guy, you know, from King of Kensington. That's right. <laughs> I just loved going up there. I loved going up and visiting him in Toronto. And God knows, it, I had so much fun. I was up there an awful lot. It's amazing though, Martin, like when you've had a career as long as yours, and mine's been the same as well, you go through ebbs and flows and you have been working steady, like you mentioned, and there's so many parts that you've played and all this sort of stuff. Did, did Cobra Kai, when, you, when, when they called you to be back on the show, did you expect it was going to be as big as it turned out to be? Uh, because it's probably shot you right back into the mainstream again. I mean, you did Dancing with the Stars, and I mean, that's you don't get on Dancing with the Stars. I did, I did the show too in season eleven. You don't get on the show unless you have a, a name value and unless you're hot. So that puts you right back into the mainstream again. Well, you know, Dancing with the Stars was tough because I wanted to rock and roll and do a lot of moves from dance contest days in the sixties and seventies, but they saddled me with tough dances, and I didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. I did the Pasa Doble, which is the, the formality, or let's just say the classic part of, of doing flamenco, the classic flamenco. You got to put your arms back. It was tough. It was really hard and didn't get a chance to really rock and roll. But, you know, I was amazed that the audience numbers were enormous. 30 million people watched this show. Yeah. And my son was there. And my son was there. And he came to watch him. The night they disqualified me, thank God, after two episodes, I was disqualified because my knee was killing me. And I, you know, it's like, oh, God. You know, I looked up at Jesse in the bleachers there. And I said, I put my thumbs up. Let's hope I get disqualified, you know? <laughs> I thought I thought he would have lasted a couple more episodes because he did. He obviously loves to dance, and, and we talked about it. We laughed about it. It was actually funny. The day that we that we got a call that it was confirmed that he was going to be on Dancing the Stars publicly, we were actually in our trailer in Florida filming a movie that hasn't come out yet called Taste of Love that my dad and I did. And Ralph Macchio called him and was like, hey, Marty, like, I'm just giving you, like, a heads up, like, be prepared for this when you do it because like, you know, it's gonna, you're going to hurt. It's going to be crazy. You got to stretch. He's like, I still recovering from that. You know, it was just, it was a very funny experience. He did it the same season. I did Ralph and I did the same season. Oh, amazing. What did you make it to? Which number? What, how far? I I made it to week seven, maybe. And the reason why is because I was kind of like the, my career is almost tailor made for dancing because a dancing is two things. It's being able to remember the choreography and staying in step with that, which is kind of what wrestling is, and being a musician, staying on the beat, either right behind it, right ahead of it, whatever you need to do. So combining those two along with the live element of what being a wrestler is, we're, we're connecting with the fans and all that sort of thing, I actually did a lot better than I think they expected me to do. Because the producers kind of have in their heads where they want people slotted. You know, I kind of figured that out very quickly too. But, it, but, but like you said, dude, it was not easy. One of the hardest things I've ever done. And I don't care how much of an athlete you are or what you've done in the past. This is a completely different world. I respect anybody that did the show 
at all. I don't care if you're if you win or if you're on the first week because I know how much I know how hard it is to just get on it. They were very patient because my rehearsal schedule. They sent my partner here for two rehearsal days to Nashville, yeah, and then I went to Salt Lake City for an autograph show, and they sent her there, and we tried to really rehearse a lot because I love dancing. You know, I, I mean, the greatest place to dance is a bar mitzvah or a wedding because you got the, <laughs> you got that whole floor to cook and smoke with, you know? And, you know, the days of rock and rolling in, in New York and, you know, Dudes and Dolls and, and the Rolling Stone when the, you know, discos first came, those were great days. And, you know, you dance contests and all. But it was different that it was more treacherous and it was more like, you're really out there with the pros, and you better look good. Now, I can handle myself with a script, but I can do splits, but I can't get up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what good is splits anymore, you know? Hey, Cobra Kai fans, come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts. Jesse, how is it for you? You mentioned you did a movie with your dad, and obviously, you know, in Cobra Kai, you weren't in scenes together, but how is that kind of following in his footsteps as an actor? I'm assuming the movie you guys did together, you maybe did some scenes together. I mean, how is that working with your dad that closely? Well, we, we love working together. And I wanted to say one thing before we forget. When we both were there at AEW in Nashville, uh, which we watched you, by the way, which was like amazing. I, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, every time you come out onto that platform, you see the live, talking about being live, like Dance with the Stars. I mean, do you feel that electric energy every time you walk out when everyone's just, like cheering you on? That's the beauty of live versus filming. You know, I mean, when you're filming a movie or a TV show, I mean, it's take one, take two, take five. Let's get this. Let's get the cover. Let's do this again. Do that again. And you don't get the gratification for six months, eight months, you know, a year later. That's when the, the, the show comes out and you see the reviews. When you're live, you get the instant feedback and the instant energy. And you know right away, okay, this crowd is into it or they're not as into it or I got to get them into it. I got to change up some of my tricks here. And that, that's the biggest thing too. Like whenever I film a movie or a show, it's the same where it's like, wow, you got to wait a long time and you don't, you tell a joke and no one laughs. Is this funny? I mean, is it, you know, and then, then you start second guessing yourself. Is this any good? But yeah, it is, it is a magic that you can't get anywhere else. That electricity, it really is a, an adrenaline drug, so to speak, when you're in front of a live crowd. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things that my dad and I talked about while we were sitting in the front row watching, you know, basically having blood sprayed on us from the, you know, the wrestlers, I'm just kidding, there was no blood, but we were talking about the performances that they were doing because we love theater. Like I love Broadway. I did, all, I did, you know, off Broadway. My dad's done theater. He's from New York. And we, what, we were talking about how amazing the performances are of all the athletes, one athletes as well, you know, and then also, you know, essentially actors that are, you know, you guys are doing things that are, like you said, changing on the spot. And we just thought we were blown away by, you know, the performances and the athleticism that everybody does all simultaneously live because, 
you know, what we do, we get another take. We get two or three takes if we don't get it right. Mm. You guys, like, you got to do it on the on the go, you know, right then and there. Yeah, it's it's live without a net. And but that's the thing, though. It, it, you know, you know, it's like dancing or being a comedian or a jazz musician or whatever. Nobody knows that there's a mistake unless you let them know. You know, if something goes wrong and it's live, you just got to continue on with it and just not even worry about it. Whereas, you know, when you're when you're acting, if you flub a line a little bit or let's just try that again you know let's just go again there is none of that uh when you're live but like i was saying to you though jesse how is it working with your dad as a as an uh, an actor uh, in his footsteps almost we i'm so grateful we, we have so much fun together it's literally like we help each other out a lot you know like i've been on so many different sets that he's come to visit and he'll come and like whisper something in my ear like maybe try it this way jesse or do a little bit of that maybe the director tells me some one way and then my dad tells me another way right right but it's like, I always say it's like summer camp. My dad and I have a good time. We care about each other so much. We want each other to have the best performances possible. So it's a team effort. And whether we're doing separate movies or TV shows or we're doing movies together, and so we're always pushing each other to do our best work. And it, it's a unique experience, you know, to be able to do that with my dad. And what we're making is on, you know, it's on screen forever. So I get to have that for the rest of my life. And it's a beautiful thing. We, we love to work together and we, we do a lot of laughing. It's just, it's a great time to work with him. So Martin, when you, you know, you've been acting for so many years, as we said, since the early seventies, when you show up for, for Karate Kid after doing all of these parts and roles as an actor, do you feel, okay, this one's special or this one is a piece of trash? How do you feel about Karate Kid when you first show up? Because I think it's one of those movies to me that kind of just, beat the odds and became way bigger than it ever had any intention of being. Well, you know, I had, I read the script. I was doing Cagney Lacey at the time. We, and a break from Cagney Lacey was a hiatus. And I looked at the script and I felt it was just another heavy, you know, the reading was fun because the audition period was, you know, they gave me a script on a Monday and then all of a sudden they said, we'll call you in on Friday. And then all of a sudden that morning, John Avelson wants to see you at noon. I hadn't, read the script at all. And I said, oh, God, what am I going to do? So my wife says to me, use all that venom that you feel for these people right now, this abuse, this anger, and go through mercy is for the weak, hearing on the streets. Somebody confronts you, they, you know, use it all. <laughs> so I try it. It works. I, I go in. And in order to get pumped up, I decided that I didn't care if I got this part or not. I would just berate the director and the casting woman right there to get my energy going. So I said, you know, John, we wait for years to meet directors of your caliber. And here you are, give me no time to prepare. You're an asshole. And so are you, Carol Jones. Boom. Go right into Mercy is for the Week. Here and on the streets. Go right into it. They love it. They send me to Jerry Weintraub. <laughs> I do the same thing to Jerry Weintraub. You're going to love this guy. He called us an asshole, but his work is just incredible. <laughs> Ultimately, to me, it was just another heavy. I got it, and it was a classic story getting it. And then we never even liked the title, Ralph and Billy and I. It was like a Bruce Lee movie. Mm -hmm. So nobody knew, except after a while, I was working in Eugene, Oregon, I think, and I didn't see go to the premiere, but Vivian, my wife, did, and I called her on the phone and said, how was the movie? She said, oh, the movie was great, just great. And I said, well, good, H how was I? And she goes, oh, you're okay. <laughs> So then I went to see the movie a month later, and the rest is history. But, you know, Robert Kamen is the star of that picture, Chris. Robert Kamen. Not Miyagi and, and Ralph, but Kamen, 
who's the writer, who wrote Sweep the Leg, Wax On, Wax Off, No Mercy, Mercy is for the Weak, because we're still saying those lines 35 years later, and usually you'll remember the movie, like The Force Be With You, or Play It Again, Sam, or anything like that. Frankly, Scarlet, I Don't Give a Damn, from Gone with the Wind. They're usually from great movies. He was the star, as far as I'm concerned. He wrote those words, and they're embedded in our psyche forever. And they're so good. They're so good that they've now just announced last week that they have a Karate Kid musical that's coming to Broadway. Amazing. Like I said, it's become one of the most beloved franchises in American history, pop culture in America. I mean, it is up there with Star Wars and, you know, all of those, the, the really big ones, Terminator, even bigger than Terminator, because there's a TV show now that's huge. And there's, you mentioned a Broadway musical. And, but I love listening to you talk. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use the Hollywood name, Marty, uh, like you just said. I love listening to you talk because you remind me a lot of when I talked to, like, when I talked to Bill Shatner, William Shatner, uh, uh, this career that spans so many decades. And you're throwing around names like Avildsen and Weintraub and just like they're just guys that you met with. Like, that blows my mind because these are big time legendary moguls of the, of the movie and, you know, in television business as well. What other kind of big time names? did you have to audition for and meet with? Because there's so many. Your career bio is ridiculous with all the different stuff that you've done. Was there any other big name? Like, I'm sure there's been tons, but was there some that stuck out for you, these classic Hollywood type types? Well, when I met Bob Fosse, it just, I didn't get the part, but it was for all that jazz, and I don't even remember. But the interview, when you meet these guys, they just stare at you and look at you and take it all in and take you in, and you don't even have to read for these giants. These giants just really want to feel you. It was like when I read for Deer Hunter. I read for Deer Hunter. It was between <laughs> Brian Dennehy and I went in there for this part of the guy who owns the bar in Pennsylvania. And he was a local, so he wasn't in Vietnam. And I went in there, and I read with Bobby De Niro. <laughs> it was like another world. I mean, the reality of... Your work is like working with Brando. If I had the luck to work with Brando, you know, they just suck the words out of you realistically. You can't have a, viol a violated moment when you're working with these guys. I worked with Anthony Hopkins. That was an improvised scene, and it was a, it was in a, a low-budget movie, but he wanted to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he was really funny. And the director said, well, Anthony Hopkins wants to be in this picture. And we're shooting in Malibu. He says, Marty, think of a scene. Think of a scene. So I thought of something. And I thought of having doing an improv with him saying, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. You know, since we ran um, fighters on the streets of Hong Kong. And it was cool because the movie was about fighting. It's called Bare Knuckles. So he says, okay, we'll do that. And he walks away and then he turns around to me and he says, Marty, I want you to do me a favor. And I said, what is it, Tony? What, what do you want me to do? He said, call me Xavier. I haven't got a clue why you want to be called Xavier, right? So I said, boom, action. And we do the thing. And I said, yeah, Xavier, it's been 10 years since we've run, you know, fighters on the streets of uh, Hong Kong for Kung Fu. It was a great scene. And the joke was every actor on the set, because it was improvised, every actor walked into the scene so and shook his hand and said, Great to see you, Xavier, because they wanted to have some footage with Anthony Hopkins and them for their acting reel. <laughs> when 
Dad, wasn't there some funny story with you and like Sam Jones like running in Central Park together or something? And you didn't know you were auditioning for the same like for Flash or something like that? Yes, yeah, it was for Flash Gordon and Sam Jones got it. And I was up there meeting Dino De Laurentiis in his big office in London with this red carpeting at a giant desk, like 12 feet long. And he said, Sam, what are you doing here? We're jogging in Hyde Park. And he said, I'm meeting, you know, down to the third callback, I'm meeting um, Dino De Laurentiis for Flash Gordon. I said, wow, this is 1979. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm here, man. He got the part and then got beat out of his salary and had to sue Dino to get his salary. Oh, and he never really did a lot of stuff right after that because Dino was whatever. But that was the story I got. And I was kind of lucky that I didn't get the part. So I would have probably worked three months <laughs> and, you know, got paid eight, you know, per diem. You know, that's funny because I think Schwarzenegger tells a story. Maybe it was for Conan or something along those lines of the exact same thing. Dino De Laurentiis' big, long table and his office, like you just mentioned, <laughs> the same style. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He was really lovely. I did the White Buffalo for him with Charles Bronson, which was a, my first Western, 1976. So, so much fun working with Charlie Bronson, Clint uh, Walker, Jack Warden. I mean, these guys, and I was in town one year. Gosh. And his movie, and it was just terrific. You know, there's so many great stories. Tarantino is a great story. I mean. Right. Let's hear that. I, I walked up to Quentin during the party. I love working with Quentin Tarantino is the tops. It's just so great. I walked up to him at the pre-party before the movie started once upon a time in Hollywood. And he, I knew he's a Cobra Kai fan. And I walked up to him and I've been bugging him for years to put me in a Western. Django, Hateful Eight. And he never did. I walked up to him and I said, you know, Quentin, I've been bugging you for years to come into, for you to hire me and, and you know, do a Western role and all that. I said, did you hire me for this because I'm hot from Cobra Kai? Or because I've been driving you nuts for two years. And he said to me, Marty, a little bit of both. <laughs> and he was a great guy. I pulled out a boulevard from my pocket cigar and I said, thanks for being honest, Quentin. You know, he's so much fun. He's a lot of fun to work for. Well, that's great because he, he puts a lot of guys like of classic actors and guys that he enjoys. And you have a great little part there with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio right at the beginning. Yeah, it was really funny to work with, with Leo and. You know, it was a much longer scene, but you just have to be happy that you made it in the cut. Mm -hmm. and when you're working with Quentin, you know, you just got to be happy you're not editing it out, you know. How do you deal with that? Because I've done a, a few movies. I've done, I've done a couple movies with Kevin Smith, and I'm always nervous because Kevin films so much. And it's like, I was great in that. I, d I did uh, Jay and Silent Bob re re reboot and I played a, the head of the Ku Klux Klan. And I had this big, long speech and it was awesome. And then when you're, you're nervous, when you see it, obviously, like you said, it's cut down from five minutes to a minute 22 or whatever. But do you get used to that after all the years you've been doing it? Just don't even worry about it or do you still get nervous about what's the edit going to be like? I'll tell you this story, which is a funny story. We went to the premiere. My, my lady at the time, my lady, was her name was Mary. And we sat down and we were given the wrong seats in the theater. So right at the time the movie's beginning, we had to get up and move to the row in front of us, to the right seats. So I miss the first part of the movie. And I am the opening scene in the movie. So I'm watching for myself throughout the whole movie. And I'm saying, wow, <laughs> I guess he cut me out. I'm looking at this thing. 
And then all of a sudden, the movie's over, and I said, well, I guess he cut me out. And I bump into Eli Roth, the director in the lobby, and he says, great job, Marty. It was a little too short, but great job. I said, oh. And I all of a sudden said, oh, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm really glad you liked it. And then all of a sudden, my PR guy bumped into me five minutes later and said, you were terrific. You were, it was short, but it was really a good scene. Then I realized I was in the movie because I had missed it. And I wasn't going to suffer anymore, you know. <laughs> it was good that he saw it because I believed him, you know. But, you know, you get edited out of those movies you do. But my first movie I was edited out of, a movie called Little Murders with Elliot Gould, 1970. We shot it in Central Park and he kills me with this camera. And the story is about a pacifist. And it was written by Jules Pfeiffer. And it was a play. And Alan Arkin directed. The scene was cut out. And then he, Alan Arkin sent me a letter saying, Elliot Gould plays a pacifist. And we can't have him killing someone midway in the movie. But your performance was wonderful. And I look forward to working with you again. Mm. This is like the first year I'm in the business. You get a letter like that, you know? Jesse, I was a few like as an actor now hearing all these stories because like I said, it, it's I love just the Elliot Gould throwing out the Tarantino, the Eli Roth. I mean, it's just one guy after another. These are just peers of your father. D do you appreciate that? I do. I, I appreciate it a lot. You know, I've grown up around these stories like with Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all the people that my dad has crossed. Like, I mean, my dad, my, you didn't mention it, but like my dad and Stallone were like they kind of came up together back in the day. Like, oh, wow. I don't remember if you guys lived in the same apartment dad or you were you were like right next to each other or something like that. You had the same manager for a little bit before you guys were anybody, right? Yeah, same manager, yeah. And um, you know, they used to take like funny little jobs together. Like I think my dad was like a Santa Claus in a mall, you know, and Stallone would do something else like that, you know? And so anyway, hearing all these stories, there's this old school mentality or, you know, vibe or energy that like, you know, that kind of comes with these stories. And I feel like some of that is rubbed off on me. And I feel like that kind of way, I feel like today is not really as prevalent as it was, you know, and I feel like mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that so much because it's made me very tough, mentally tough, physically tough, because obviously this industry, all the industry in the entertainment world is very hard. And I think that having that edge, you know, especially like, especially with a little bit of the old school mentality is like, it'll be okay, no matter what, as long as you can you know, push through that. All these guys, like Schwarzenegger, everybody told him he was too big. Just like the same thing with like Dwayne Johnson, mm -hmm. Stallone, all these guys, like, you know, and all these great stories, like with my dad, you know, it's like, it's amazing to hear the success that still come even pushing through those barriers. And I feel like that's one of the things I've taken away from, from all this stuff so much is, you know, achieving my dreams and being able to do this with my dad and bringing in that, a little bit of that old school way, that old school swagger into it. I appreciate that and cherish that. It's, it's been you know, wonderful thing for me to be able to peer in and, and look into for, for these years, you know? Well, here's something interesting that just kind of, how do you forge your own path as an actor? Because obviously it's great to be Marty's son and you get all the advice and that sort of thing. But, you know, when you go and do your own auditions and then do people know that your dad is, is in the business? Do you kind of keep that to yourself? Does it help? Does it hinder? Well, he never, I didn't say a word about the Cobra Kai to these guys. I didn't say, hey, my son. I say about the new projects they're doing, but I don't say, didn't say anything. I didn't even know when Jesse read. And he was the only person they read. That's great. Well, thankfully, I, I feel like I did a good, we always laugh that if I went in there and did a, 
you know, did a botched job, how embarrassing that would have been. Like, yeah, Marty, uh, Jesse, he was, he was okay. He needs a little more work, but he's doing all right. It's also, it's also funny, too, that they didn't cast you as a young crease. That would be kind of the assumption there. But obviously, it would have been really cool. You know, Barrett, who played Young Priest, great guy. He's a friend of mine. He looks so much like my dad from the time. Yeah. And he's a good actor. He's, he's, he's done some great work after Cobra Kai. And he and I hit it off right away. So we, we had a blast when, when we did that together. But, you know, who knows what will happen? There's always jokes about spinoffs and whatever. Who, who knows? Right. To what you were saying was... Sometimes I may bring it up in certain ways, like if I want to work with my dad on something, because it would be fun to do this. Like I went into this, I did an audition years ago. Uh, I played, what's his name? The Shadow, like who Alan Baldwin played in uh, yeah. the 90s. And I was I did the audition and I was like, I said, you know what? Do, do you guys have this other role cast, like the lead detective guy? I said, my dad's an actor and you, know, you may know him. Him and, I, and I brought him up and they're like, oh, of course. Yeah. And I said, we love to work together and this would be something really fun that we'd love to do. And so, you know, they ended up loving what I did. They ended up calling our team. They called him and it worked out. It was because it was good for the story and the relationship. They were kind of friends, but they, they were foes at the same time. I thought it would have been great and it worked out and we had a blast. And then there are other times where I do just, I am forging my own, my own path. Like that's why I'm growing this beard out is um, I'm playing Wyatt Earp in a tombstone prequel. Oh, cool. When Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp met, that's why I look like, I mean, his mustache is crazy right now. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> I've been growing this thing for months, man. Uh, I'm all in. And so my dad's going to have this great part. Uh, he's going to play the mayor of Dodge city. We love Westerns, of course. And so, you know, it's, he'll be there for a few days, but the fact that we got to do that together is like super meaningful for us. You know, it's, it's, it's just like a, it's a give and take depending on what the situation is. And, you know, I never, having grown up in the industry, I don't, I don't try to push that stuff at all. Like I said, the old school stuff, you know, I'm very much carving my own path. And my dad is my, my dad's like my cheerleader as I'm, I'm his, you know. You mentioned uh, that, that Martin, that, that you and Stallone had the same manager and, and kind of came in the business together. Another classic role, classic movie that we mentioned before was Rambo First Blood 2. How did that come to be that both of you ended up in the same movie after coming up together? Well, it was his movie. Right. Back in the day, in the early 70s, we had the same German clockmaker, Kuno Spoonholz. Kuno Spoonholz. <laughs> <laughs> got Sly a job as an usher in the Baronet Theater on 3rd Avenue and got me a job as a Santa Claus in Abraham and Strauss department store. So those are the kind of jobs we got. <laughs> but, you know, I came out and Sly and I did a movie called Capone together right away in the first year we were here. And he played Frank Diddy and Ben Gazzara and Susie Blakely were in. It. And it was, you know, we just got to be friends because we came out the same time. But it was interesting. And I remember doing Death Race 2000 with him. Hmm. And it was February, I think, of 1975. And he has this red script in his hand. And he's in the motorhome. And I, I'm taking a break from the shoot. So on, on, at Ontario Speedway in LA. I said, what is that? And he says that. It's a boxing movie I'm trying to get made. So this is February of 75. So by October of 76, I went to see it in the movies in Studio City. It was really funny. You know, it's a year and a half later and he put it together and we always, you know, we, we talk about that. And on Rambo, I was hot off Karate Kid 1 and followed up Karate Kid 1 with, with this movie. And I was doing Cagney and Lacey at the same time. So I got three weeks and we shot in Acapulco and it was really a tough shoot. 
you know, but um, mm. it, it was just good to be together. We played a lot and had a lot of fun. And he's such a talented guy. I mean, not only does he reinvent himself, I'm dying to do an Expendables with him. <laughs> yeah. He's very funny. You know, the guy writes so well, and he's very funny. He's just, you know, one of those characters that will stay alive for as long as there's celluloid in film. Well, because that's a rare thing, too, for a leading man to also be writing the scripts and been directing quite a few of them as well. Like you said, that's a whole other world. Have you ever tried to write scripts or, or anything along those lines? I've been trying to write a Western since the inception of the computer for me in 2001. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And so I've been trying to write a Western, and I'm really good at editing scripts, and I'm really good at picking out moments that are great. Jesse and I are developing a couple of things. You know, the Western is a tough sell. And I've mentioned this many times. From 1920 to 1967, one of every three movies that came out of Hollywood was a Western. So it's a real overexposed genre. And to hmm. make kids really cotton to a Western, the character development has to be brilliant. You know, you've got to have a great story. And you're competing with special effects. But it can be done because it's necessary, because the moral fiber of the Western hero is vast. And we need a hero right now in society. And I believe what we were, what we grew up on with the searches and the wild bunch and Butch Cassidy and Red River and all those wonderful things. We need movies like that, but they need to be far more sophisticated. So can I write that? Probably no, but we're constantly reading material. Jesse, we've been talking a lot about, about your acting and, 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 and Marty's acting, but let's talk about a little bit of a father-son dynamic here, something I was thinking about. What is the, what is the angriest that your dad was ever uh, at you when you were growing up? What did you do to really piss him off? <laughs> Actually, I know right off the top of my head. <laughs> There's always one, right? Yeah. You may not remember this, Dad. Remember at the old house in Tarzana, we had a huge property and there was a huge hillside that I know at the very bottom was like a pool area and it was huge. And I remember we had all these amazing lawn chairs that were like really like well expensive, well made. And I don't know why when I was like, I don't know, maybe eight, I just decided, well, it would be cool to see what would happen if I threw these lawn chairs down the mountain. And I literally picked them up and I threw them and just watched them tumble and break and turn into shards and twisted metal. And I threw them all and I kind of stood there like, oh, that was really fun. And my dad comes over behind me and he was like, what did you just do? He like pulled me, he pulled me aside. I don't know. I think he spanked me or whatever. You know, I was like, I was, it was pretty terrible. I mean, it was awful. These were like really expensive, like beautiful lawn chairs that we had. And I just literally like, I mean, who does that? Threw them down the mountainside. And, and he was like, he was very upset. And he was like, you know, how are we going to get these, Jesse? They're like, you know, down the mountain. Do you remember when that happened, Dad? I actually don't remember that one. I remember things in the kitchen yelling and screaming, but I don't remember yelling at Jesse a lot because Jesse was always a hero. Mm. Jesse would always stick up for his sister. Well, he had his twin sister. So I don't remember disciplining him very much, but I'm sure I did. <laughs> well, there, I mean, over the years, there's definitely been times where, you know, we've butted heads over a variety of different things, whether it's my own stuff. I mean, look, I, I'm not, I, I've been no angel growing up, 
you know, I remember when I was 19, I had a DUI, which was a, you know, I don't even care that I'm, I'm talking about it. it. It was, you know, it just happens. This is life. Yeah, I've life. been there. I've been there. Yeah, I learned my lesson. I was 19 years old and I was drinking and I drove and, you know, I obviously have never done that since, since, you know, 11 years ago. You know, I spent the night in jail and I told my car, thankfully I didn't hurt anybody. But that was a huge, that was a huge one. You know, I literally, my license was taken away. I had to ride a bicycle around LA. <laughs> I was going to auditions, changing into, into the bathroom stalls to, you know, into the clothes that I needed to wear. At the time, you know, my dad was, was you know, I, I look at it now as like, you know, if I was a parent, I was like, oh, he did a good job because he wasn't like, oh, I'll get you a new car and we'll get you this. Don't worry. He was like, no, no, no. You're going to take the damn bus and you're going to ride around LA and you're going to like, you're going to learn your lesson. And that was, that was a huge one for me. That was probably one of the most humbling experiences for mm -hmm. me, but, you know, just scooting around LA on my, my bicycle for a year. Just so you know, Jesse, I, I was living in Glendale at the time I got one and I, same thing, bicycle boy. Riding to Pasadena from Glendale takes about a freaking wow. hour and a half. And you're like, this really sucks. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, I'd order a taxi to take me back to my house. And I'd put the bike in the back of the trunk. I couldn't take it. <laughs> yes, dude. I did that. I was the friend that all my friends like, oh, Jesse's got to, we got to stick his bicycle in the trunk. Let's talk about your podcast as we start to wind down here, kicking it with the coast. And I want to ask you this. First of all, Marty, is is podcasting now is has become the avenue for promotion and for interviews, we're doing it right now. Uh, I love the long form aspect of it. It really has replaced a lot of kind of the old school way of, of, of promoting. Did you do a lot of, of the talk shows, the, the Tonight Shows and that sort of thing before we talk about your podcast? Did you do Johnny Carson and all that sort of stuff? I did Johnny Carson in 85. I did Merv Griffin. <laughs> nice. I go to the hole in the wall and Jesse goes too, where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid used to hide out. Mm. place in Casey, Wyoming. And we do it every year since 83. And we ride hard for five days, camp outside, all Western vintage regalia. And so I had Entertainment Tonight come out and follow us around. It was like a four-minute, five-minute segment <laughs> of Entertainment Tonight following us around to the hole in the wall in Wyoming. And it was great. You know, it was really interesting and they captured a lot. And I used it to try and raise money for a Western. I used it as, you know, <laughs> entertainment tonight can love the West. You could invest in it, you know? Right. I did, yeah, you know, a lot of those shows. And, but it was an uphill battle because I wasn't the star of Cagney and Lacey. Tyne Daly and Sharon Gless was. Right. Even with Karate Kid and all, it was an uphill battle to do a lot of the talk shows. But I was on Johnny Carson. Shelley Winters was also on the show. I told a funny story of how I broke into Ebbets Field in Brooklyn in 1958 because with my friend Tommy Chiodo, and I was like 11. And um, I told the story how we broke into Ebbets Field and we got chased out by a Doberman pincher and a security guard and all that. Two days later, I get a phone call. I must have been listed. Tommy Chiodo is in Rochester, New York. Hadn't seen the guy in 25 years. And he says, I just caught you talking about me on Johnny Carson. And he says, I'm an investment banker. If you ever need stockbroker information, please call me. And gave me his number. I'll never forget Johnny Carson's show because, because of that alone. Right. It was just, it's the best. And now trying to get on, you know, nighttime TV, because I live in Nashville, is, it's harder. It's harder. 
for the podcast, what was the idea behind it? Because there's a lot of podcasts out there now. I love the family element of you guys doing it together. But what was kind of the thought process behind that, Jesse? Rachel, my sister, she kind of came up with the original concept of us doing this as a family. We always wanted to do a podcast. I was doing one. She was doing one. And it came together. Obviously, we talk about Cobra Kai all the time and Karate Kid and our own careers. But we wanted we wanted to have, like you said, a family dynamic of a brother, a sister, a dad. And to hear from a family perspective, you know, my sister brings a, a wonderful female element to the podcast, which is great, which I, I think is important for men to hear that side as well. You know, and then you got my dad who's a hard ass, came up his way, you know, you know, and then obviously we have like the writers from Cobra Kai. We've got a lot of obviously all the cast is going to come on and then other amazing people such as yourself. So it's really special. We love it. And the feedback has been great from people. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to do, be doing this with my dad and my sister. Last few questions for you. I'm really curious, Marty, what is your fate? Oh, this is a two part question. What are some of your favorite parts that you've ever played that aren't crease? And what are your favorite, what's your favorite part that Jesse's played? Well, we just finished A Taste for Love, which is a movie about food. And Jesse plays a romantic lead. We shot it in Dunedin. And I play a restaurateur who's a chef. And it was such a soft, gentle role. It was just produced by Lincoln Loggison, man who produced The Gambler and Lots of stuff, the Rough Riders, Familius, and all. And he was a friend of mine. He says, you should do this. And Jesse's a romantic lead. And so I played this soft, gentle restaurateur who's leaving the restaurant to his daughter. Bottom line is, I do a scene talking about my mother leaving the restaurant to me as I'm speaking to my daughter. And the entire crew, this, this was the reward of the whole movie. The entire crew cried. I had everybody in tears because it was such an emotional scene. And I just went for it because it's kind of stuff that I don't get a chance to do. The real vulnerable, emotional characters. And I love playing that. I love doing that more than I love playing mm. a hard ass, you know. And working with Jesse was just heaven. And, you know, it was just a great cast. And, you know, Jesse watching him as a romantic lead because... There's no question about it. He's going to be a superhero. He's going to be a superhero very shortly, you know? <laughs> the only reason I'm doing this movie, Dodge City, is because all my scenes are with him. Ah. He does, you know, he does a great job in Wichita, Kansas, and I want well, Dodge City cleaned up. So I find this guy named Wyatt Earp, and he comes, and the rest is history, you know? I, I really enjoyed that, and, and working with Kevin Costner on Wyatt Earp, even though that was a hard ass. Working with Kevin and Larry Kasdan, it, you just can't go wrong. These guys love Westerns, and there's lots of parts. But I think Westerns in general are what I love to do. But this Taste for Love, which will be out soon, is just a movie that no one's ever seen me do that kind of stuff. Like you said, because it goes against the, the, the casting type, yeah. which would be very interesting to see, right? How about you, Jesse? What's the favorite part you've played, and what's your favorite part you've seen your dad do? Let's see. Favorite part for me was I did a movie called D-Day with my good friend, Weston Cage Coppola, um, incredible actor. Uh, he grew up the same way I did, status, Nicolas Cage. And we have a, an incredible bond together in that movie. Uh, we both started it, which was totally serendipitous. We, we both auditioned. And he happened, you know, he's literally like my brother. 
and we both call each other. And I was like, oh, I just went up for this World War II movie. He's like, oh, I just went up for this World War II movie. I was like, get out of here, D-Day. He's like, yeah. We were auditioning for each other's parts, and then we switched parts that they wanted. And I was playing a, a real-life hero, uh, First Sergeant Lamel. And I really took, I took the role so seriously because of, you know, the, the actual history of it. You know, I'm a big patriot at heart, and my dad is. And so it was all about, you know, D-Day and uh, the, the battle Point to Hawk. So that movie was one of my favorites, physically, emotionally draining, and it was amazing. And then my favorite movie, my dad probably, oh my God, there's so many. Um, there's just so, so many. Uh, I love I love seeing him when he does when he does comedy. When my dad does comedy, it's really funny because you don't get to see that as much. Right. And he's really funny. Like he's really, really funny. So when you see him do comedy, it's just great. He's got a natural ability for it. And yeah, he's just hilarious. Uh, you know, whenever he does an action movie and there's a bit of comedy put in, I it, it cracks me up and I, I love that. So seeing him do some some action comedy is always great for me. Last question for you, Martin. The one thing I love about Cobra Kai season four, right towards the end. In wrestling, if you're a bad guy, you're a heel. If you're a good guy, you're a baby face. For the first time, due to uh, Silver, it seems that Kreese is kind of turning baby face. He's turning into a good guy, uh, which we've never seen before. Is that something that, that you look forward to exploring with this character that you've been playing for almost 40 years as a heavy, as you said? <laughs> That's a good projection. Yeah, there's, you know, there's vulnerability to me, it was something I requested the writers when we first met, and they said, you're going to come in episode 10, season one, and set up season two. And I said, why can't I come in earlier? And they said, well, because you're setting up season two. I said, well, I really like you to think about writing the character more vulnerable, with more texture than the tough guy from Karate Kid 1. And they said, we have plans of doing that. Yeah. And then you got a sense of why he is the way he is and that he's misunderstood rather than being a heavy. The bottom line is I enjoy playing that kind of vulnerability and texture much more than just being tough because I think it just allows you to utilize your backstory, utilize the research you've done on the character, utilize that more when you've got all these emotions flying all over the place rather than just being, you know, one-dimensional guy who's like that in Karate Kid 1. Now we move into some really good surprises, which I can't talk about. But there's a lot of great surprises in um, the season to come. Do you ever get sick of uh, when you're at Comic-Cons or does it ever, where people say, sweep the leg, no mercy? Does that ever bother you or is it just something that you think is pretty cool? It doesn't really bother me. You know, what bothers me is people come up to you and smack you on the back. <laughs> me too. I hate that. I hate that. So, no, I can handle pretty much anything and I love talking to the kids and I always talk to them and say to the parent, I said, why does your family like the show? And they tell me what you and I discussed earlier. I like little kids who come up, you know, Jesse and I get cameos from little kids turning six, wanting me, their favorite character on the show, <laughs> to wish them a happy birthday. And we even got a note from a pastor who wanted me to give a pep talk to the congregation so they would spend money at the um, silent auction. <laughs> Well, like I said, you guys are part of pop culture history. It's been great talking to you, and thank you so much. And I look forward to reciprocating on your show. All right, great. Chris. We'd love to have you. We can't wait. Thank you so much for having us. And when you make that Western, Marty, I want to play the part of, uh, of the town drunk or something like that. No, no, I've already got you cast. You are going to be 
the Native American who is a fast draw, who lives on a reservation and just wants to come out and kill some white men. So I think it's good. <laughs> I'm in. Jericho is half Cree, so it's perfect. All right, good, good. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take it easy, Chris. Thank you so much.